0: WDBM East Lansing
1: Welcome to Impact Exposure Exposure, Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's
2: one-hour forum Discussing relevant issues Affecting the MSU community And now,
1: tonight's Exposure Good evening. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In tonight's lineup, we have representatives from Silver Bells in the city, and they're here to talk about this year's event, which is this weekend. We have members from the Habibi Dancers, and they're here to talk about the dance group's upcoming show at Riverwalk Theater. Um, We have students for Peace and Justice to talk about their club on campus. And right now, I have John Mascaro of the National, C- national Cage Bird Show um, that is here to talk about the 60th annual, annual event that is coming up November 20th through the 22nd at the Lansing Convention Center and Radisson Hotel. So John, can you tell me a little bit about this event?
3: Okay. We're um, a national group. We're the oldest national show in the country. We're having our 60th show this year. And we have um, 17 different divisions. We have Anywhere from canaries, finches, to large parrots, we have two songbird divisions, and they judge them on their song only, where the other birds are judged on standards, and um, they have all, every bird has a different standard where they judge them on and that. So it's kind of like, our show is similar to the Westminster or the dog show, where everyone brings their best birds, and um, they're judged similar. It's just we don't run them around a ring, they're, you know, on a judging stand, and um just that then we have a best in show they take all 17 best division winners and a um all the judges pick the best bird in show and that is the pat Scanella award and that was um our founder was kellogg seed company and um that was their president and um they named a trophy after him now um our sponsors are higgins premium pet foods out of florida and um that's what the trophies are called now. Um, our show travels every year. Last year we were in Denver, Colorado. This year we're in Lansing, Michigan. Um, next year we're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we try to keep it in a regional area net and travel. And we have a host club. This year the host club is out of Livonia, Michigan. It's the Society of Canarian Finch Breeders, and um, they they. Um, work with the convention center and that. I'm with the national board. I kind of assist them and give them any counseling they could want on that on the show. And then um, the show was open to the public 9 to 5, Friday and Saturday. Um, I know in the, some of the papers it was sh- showing that it was open Thursday and Sunday, and it's not. Okay. Thursday is just check-in for the people that are exhibiting. But there's... Going to be raffles in that. There's a bird sale room where you can buy birds from different breeders in that, and um there's a vendor area where you can buy any type of bird product or supply in that that you'd need. Now,
1: have you raised birds before?
3: I've raised birds since 1990, and that's when I got into showing. I've raised canaries. I've raised right now. I raise canaries and finches. I've raised cockatiels before, too, and parallettes, which are a small parrot.
1: Now, you were talking about um, the show and some of the judging that goes on, some of which was, um, I believe, judging a bird by the song. How do judges go about doing that and rating different birds?
3: The songbirds have what they call tours. It's just like, you know, notes and music. They're looking for One of them has eight tours, the other one has ten, I believe, and the judge is looking for all these tours, that they do all the tours in their time that they're up there to be judged in that, and he judges them on how many times they go through their whole complete tour and that, and um, stuff like that. It's really interesting. If you're going to watch their judging, they're in a room that's really kind of like this studio here where it's soundproof in that and you have to stay in there the whole 15 minutes they give the birds 15 minutes to sing and that and to go through their tours and these birds are like kept um in kind of a dark environment until they're about five minutes before they're gonna judge so that they sing when they're put in front of the judge and it's really neat if you watch them because um if you know what the tours are and you can hear them you know it's it's really interesting. They're, they sing more than a regular canary will. And they're bred just for song. It's all the males that are shown because the females don't sing.
1: Oh, interesting. Does it ever happen that birds get kind of stage fright and get put in the room and don't end up singing?
3: Yes, there's times when the birds don't sing. And the people that breed these birds, they go through a lot of trouble training them. They, um, you can't have them near any other canary because of they'll pick up a song from another canary in it. So they're kind of isolated and that and the breeders they um some of them have training tapes they play the songs you know that they're supposed to know and they'll pick it up and that and that's how they um train them they um put them up there they keep them dark and put them up you know and that and try to bring them into the light and then as they're um training them they see how far advanced they are and they bring their best teams
1: and you, so you said that you um, raise birds. Birds. Um, have you had had experience training your birds?
3: My birds are judged on type. They're just judged on some standards. I don't have songbirds. So, yes, I condition my birds for show. I mean, um, besides spraying them to get their feather quality good, I put them in their show cages and do different things. You know, like when they're in front of a judge and that, it's not real quiet. So you, you put them in their show cages and I put them up on a ledge in that and i put the radio on and you walk past them and you get them kind of acclimated to people and stuff like that and just you know you put your hand in front of their cage so that they're not frightened when the judge looks at them and that and there's a lot of work to training birds to get them you know ready for show so that you know you don't put a bird up there and the judge walks up there, and the bird goes crazy in the cage.
1: Right. Do you feed uh, feed him a special bird seed? Kind of like give him like a little diet or well, anything like that.
3: I feed my birds regular seed, but they they get other things in their diet. They get fresh greens and vegetables and that. And
1: all right. Like um, so during the show that's happening this weekend. Um, Are there events like uh, speakers that are coming or different workshops that will be happening during this show?
3: Yes, I believe Saturday there's going to be some seminars. I think they start at 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure. But now Saturday is the best day to come if you're going to want to see all the birds that are being judged in that. Because Friday is just the judging, and mostly it's just the exhibitors that are showing their birds and the judges and that there, and you can't get in the back to see the birds that are being judged until they're finished, so Saturday, all the judging's finished, and it's open to the public, and you're able to get in the back and see all the birds that were judged um if you really wanted to come and hear the song contests and that with these birds, Friday would be a good day to come, but I mean, if you're looking to see all the birds that were in the show, then Saturday's a good day to come, and there'll still be birds for sale and the raffles and everything like that.
1: How often do shows like this happen in the U.S.?
3: This show is an annual show, once a year. It's always on the third weekend of November that has a Friday and a Saturday in it. And um, as I said before, it travels, so it's in different shows. But there are local clubs like this club out of Livonia, Society of Canary and Finches. Their um, show is usually the third weekend in October every year. So usually... Shows run from September to the end of October, or November, something like that. And this is usually the last show of the season, the national.
1: And you were talking about this show traveling all over the U.S. And I was looking on the website, and there's airline information on the website. So are people coming from all over the nation to yes. come see this event?
3: We'll have exhibitors from Canada, Puerto Rico, wow. and all over the U.S. This This show being in the Midwest, the Midwest is usually one of our... Best attended shows because people from Canada can come over the border pretty easy, and it's an easy place to get into.
1: Okay, and talking about um, the songbirds, it reminds me of how parrots can talk like humans sometimes, right. or you know, hello, you know, kind of stuff. Um, how How do you think um, other How do you think parrots communicate with other birds when when they can speak like humans?
3: Well, I don't know if other birds understand, you know, the parrots and that, but I'm sure they all have, you know, just like you and I, if we have different nationalities we understand one another, I think the birds understand one another just like that, too. So.
1: Okay. And how different do you think the crowd that you'll see this weekend is different from, let's say, a bird-watching crowd, people that go out? I guess in the wilderness and have their binoculars and things like that.
3: Well, those people are all wild bird people. They're looking for specific birds and that. This is, um, you know, they're cage birds, and these are domesticated birds in cages, and you, they're they're being judged up there. So I mean, you know, you got to realize that these people that are showing them, they have them in flights normally at home, and for this show, they put them in a smaller show cage and that. So, you know the, the environment 's different, I mean when you 're out bird watching you 're out in a field with binoculars and that here you're you can get up close to the birds and that and see them
1: okay now I found a little interesting <clears throat> bit of information tonight um, <clears throat> it 's believed in a small town in north um, eastern India, birds commit suicide in a particular um, town and, and a twenty a two hundred meter wide strip um, in a field, these, bur- these birds are not suicidal, since um, their behavior may be attributed to heavy rains and floods, um, and submergence of their natural habitat in the surrounding areas, and also the local villagers light torches, which all um, which attract the birds. Um, the birds' migration at night, and then they clobber them to death with bamboo poles and then eat them. I thought that was kind of graphic, yet kind of interesting. Um, So with that aside, I was thinking about how they were saying that birds are affected by the weather, and I was remembering something that I was told when I was younger, that when um, the weather changes or there's going to be a storm, that birds... um, they attach themselves to those telephone lines when you see a whole mm-hmm. row of birds there. The wild up there. birds, yes. Um, is that true, that they are affected by uh, the weather so much like that?
3: The cage birds, um, well, you adjust their diet towards breeding and conditioning and that, and you give them a little bit more fat seeds and that to help them with the cold and that. But, like, the cage birds, they're more... They can adjust to the cold better than they can drafts and... Um, wind and that like that like if your bird room is only 50 degrees they'll adjust to that they can survive that they can survive down to pretty low temperature but they can't survive like out in the wind and that outside in that okay
1: and And something interesting that i remember seeing i believe last year when i was walking back home it was uh i believe early in the fall in the evening maybe like around five o'clock and i I was walking back, and I looked above an old building on campus, and all of a sudden I saw this huge cyclone of birds just circling over this building. There was hundreds of them, and I was—and I thought that was so odd. And I talked to someone about that, and they said that it was probably them getting prepared to migrate. Um, but to be able to communicate with each other like that was very interesting. Uh, do cage birds—do they ever—do you feel them get the sense of needing to migrate sometimes?
3: No, you don't get them need to migrate but now when breeding season comes on the um male and the female they know when they're coming into condition to breed and that, and they will um the male will have a different song to the hen and the hen will react to the song and that so now they don't migrate but they they know when breeding season's coming because you regulate their diet like towards breeding season you'll start giving them a little bit more egg food and like sprouted um seed and um greens and that to bring on like the spring you know like all of um young plants they'd find in the springtime and that so you'd find all that coming on to them and they act like that but they never migrate i mean
1: right okay well i think those are all the questions i have for now um if you wanted to give um the listeners information about the event this weekend you can go right for it
3: it's at the Lansing Lansing Convention Center it's open to the public Friday 9 to 5 and Saturday 9 to 5 if you're going to come to see the judging Friday's your better day to come you'll see the judging if you're coming to just to see the birds i would come Saturday um if you have any other questions you can go to our website which is ncbs.org and most of the information for the show and everything on there on their on their website.
1: All right, John. Well, thank you very much for coming in thank and you. again. For listeners that are just tuning in, I was talking with John Mascaro from the National Cage Bird Show um, that will be held this weekend in Lansing. You tuned to Impact Exposure.
0: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the
1: Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
0: Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact.
4: Only on
0: Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure.
1: Welcome back. I'm Emily Fox, here with Maureen um, and Jessica from the Students for Peace and Justice on campus. Um, now, can you guys explain a little bit of what you do?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Basically, we are just a student organization trying to get involvement on campus and around the community about different social issues that arise.
4: Um, we just work um, mainly to educate people on a social issue and after that we work to do an event or some type of um, activity that will work to reduce um, issues of violence or injustices on campus.
1: So um what kind of topics have you guys done i guess at your club meetings or events that you've done in the past like what type of topic specifically have you guys worked with well for me this
5: is my first year this is my first semester involved in the organization and we had kickoff in first it was in september we did a candlelight vigil for 9-11 okay and then in october we did a larger event we did a Uh, cluster bomb awareness event. We actually had speakers come from the national tour on ending cluster bombs. So that was pretty big for us. We involved the community as well. And then um, our latest event was in Two, a week ago. Week, it was just yeah. last week, actually. Yeah, It was a no-shower sh- uh, no event. We're trying to... Oh, okay. Yeah, that was us. Yeah, we're
1: trying to raise awareness for the social issues of water waste. Yep, I participated in that. Oh, in not shower for right. a day. May have been two by that time, but that's okay. Doing your part. That's, all, yeah. that's what we want. So explain what uh, cluster bombs are for the listeners who may not know.
4: Um, cluster bombs are used um, in war events, I guess. They're just...
5: It's... it's um, The United States is one of two countries that still uses them and basically it's warfare that ends up, it's dropping from the sky and it's in some sort of, like a capsule and basically they're mini mini rockets kind of, and they drop. When the capsule drops, they drop from it and they scatter everywhere. And the problem with them is that they don't all explode. So they land and they're just, you know, the size of, kind of, like a cell phone, you know, a small toy. So children and people that aren't aware that they're there, you can step on them. You can pick them up, and they go off. And it's a lot of people aren't aware of the issue, but it's, it's very bad. And so there's a campaign right now to end that, and Michigan's Senator Carl Levin is on actually the board and has a lot of say in it. So we tried to you know get some pull in his direction. Okay.
4: We, with, with the event, we had three speakers come who'd all been affected by um, cluster bombs. One was... Um, a man from Israel or pa- Pakistan. Pakistan, yeah, Pakistan, Pakistan, I believe, who um, at, at, at a young age, he'd picked up a cluster bomb and lost both legs. Oh, wow. And um, another one was a father of a son who on his fifth birthday picked up a cluster bomb when they were playing at the playground and his son was killed. And then the third speaker was um, a,
5: a Marine Corps mother yeah. whose son died in Iraq. She, he was actually involved in a cleanup committee to try to... Do you, the United States has kind of finally realized that they're not they're such a problem and so they have some soldiers left behind after these warfare events trying to clean them up and her son actually was killed when he was cleaning. So oh,
4: wow. Yeah.
1: So Maureen, you said that this is your first year. Jessica, how long have you been involved in students for peace and Justice?
4: Um, last year, we uh, I along with three other people, sort of revamped it. There was a peace and justice club a while ago, I guess, and it kind of died out, so um, after participating in a class, uh, me along with three other students decided to start it up again, and so I did it all last year and then continue to do it this year.
1: So it was along with a certain class you were taking?
4: Um, we had to do a practicum for a philosophy, the Peace and Justice Studies for Philosophy class, Okay. and um, after we did a practicum, we just decided that we wanted to continue working for Peace and Justice, and so we just decided to revamp the club.
1: Oh, that's great. Now, what type of issues are you guys concerned with specifically that um, wanted to uh, make yourself involved in a group like this?
4: Personally? Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in issues of, like, homelessness and poverty, and especially um, just, like, the the intersection of a lot of, a a number of different social issues, I guess, Um, including, like, our no-shower day was to awareness that not everyone has equal access to clean water, you know, and things like that.
5: For me, I've been involved in a lot of anti-war organizations over the years. Um, I'm a member of Women in Black in the Detroit area. And so when I realized that there was something like this on campus, I knew I really wanted to get involved. But also, on a community level, homelessness is very important to me, too, and we're going to try to do an event probably at the beginning of next semester. semester, uh Yeah. Um, kind of aimed more at a
1: community level closer to home, so okay, and how many people are in your group right now
4: <laughs> it 's fairly small. We have about like I would say ten active members, me- yeah. active members, and then yeah. here and there we pick up a couple of people and they 'll come to our events or sit in to meet at meetings but mm-hmm.
1: we're and hoping to gain when it. are your meetings held sunday nights um, every, sunday.
4: every
5: every Sunday night at seven o'clock at the union. Um, now that the semester is kind of winding down, we're probably only going to do maybe one or two more meetings. But the next semester, it'll go back to being every Sunday.
1: Right. Seven. And how are they run? Or do you have a topic that you discuss, or do you plan events, or or what kind of how 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 are, is a typical meeting run?
4: Um, well, usually we we have at the beginning of the year, we each wrote on a note card an issue that we are interested in, and so then we compiled um, a list of those issues, and we've just pretty much assigned a theme for each month, and so um, our theme for November slash December because of Christmas break is homelessness, awareness, and poverty, and then um, probably within the next few meetings, we're going to set up a, a list of topics to cover for next semester, and then just in each meeting, we decide like what, what, the, what the topic is and how we're going to educate others on it, and then what we're going to do to um, either eliminate the problem or just and action-based.
5: We have a secretary who mails out an agenda. She's very efficient, Rebecca, and <laughs> she mails yeah. out an agenda um, a, day, a day or two prior to the meeting, and so we, you know, we try to keep it you know, very efficient and quick and yeah, yeah we get to the point. <laughs> There's okay. a lot of discussion. Most of it's just discussion-based. So. And planning. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So Jessica, you were saying that you kind of started this group back up again. What are your hopes for um, this club um, for Students for Peace and Justice, um, types of things that you'd like to see happen in the future?
4: I would really just love to see it grow. Um, I think there's a huge need for, obviously, peace and justice, and for the um, people to be aware that it's not just issues of war, you know, anything like that. There's several issues, like, about everything you can think of, you know, that are related to these issues. And I just, I think it'd be great if more students on campus could start to think, um, start to think themselves and educate others about the injustices that are going on. And then just to work towards um, promoting peace and justice in like their lives and on campus, right? And what types of majors
1: um, are the people in your group? Jessica and I are
4: both social work.
5: <laughs> okay, so we have her and I, and then there's there's psychology. business, there's psychology, um, international
4: relations,
5: yeah. teaching,
4: oh education, education anthropology. Think, yeah. So we're kind of all <laughs> oriented towards I mean, social like, science, but. yeah.
1: And so you were talking about maybe having some uh, events coming up in the future. Do you ha- know those specifics yet that we could tell listeners? For homelessness, I know I've participated before in a simulation, a homelessness
5: simulation. And so we'd really like to see, this is at the very beginning stages, grassroots level right now, we're trying to see if we could do a Lansing simulation. Okay, It would you know require a lot of partnerships with other groups and organizations, but I'd really like to do a lot more hands-on. Getting lots of people involved, so right. that will probably be our next big event, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and
4: yeah. then we'll also want to just um, to focus on issues of like um, racism and international issues, AIDS and HIV, um, issues related to like the LGBT community. Um, can you
5: think? It's just more social. It's not. It's not just anti-war. A lot of people, I think, when they think of Students for Peace and Justice, they think, oh, it's those. Crazy left war protesters? It's not that. <laughs> right. at all. It's where we really focus on a lot of different things that maybe some people don't realize. So, and we're open to different suggestions too. You know, right. anything that is an issue that someone feels strongly
1: about, if they brought it to us, you know, we'd love to hear it and love to give our input. Okay. So before I start wrapping things up with you guys, is there anything else you guys want to add? Um, I just,
4: I guess, I'd like to say it's just issues related to peace and justice are really important, and I think the more. Um, we can get attention and and educate others on on these issues, the greater we can work towards eliminating all these problems. So, If anyone's interested or would like to learn more about um, Students for Peace and Justice, they can email us at peaceandjusticemsu at gmail.com, or there's a Facebook group they can... Um, look up. It's uh, Michigan State Students for Peace and
1: Justice, so we're pretty easy to find. <laughs> and your meetings are at 7 on Sundays at in the, the union? At the union, yeah, at the food court. <laughs> okay, alright, well thank you Maureen and Jessica for coming in. Thanks so thank much you. for having
5: us.
4: <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A
6: lot of gamers look at you as
0: a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle.
5: I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing.
0: But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I
1: want
3: to graduate because they say I won't.
0: Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
1: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
0: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
1: Only on The
0: Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 389 3. And now, back to Exposure.
1: Welcome back to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily. And before we get to Silver Bells in the City, um, I am here with Ari from the Habibi Dancers. And she's here to talk about the dance group's upcoming show at the, the, River, World, the River Walk Theater on uh, November 22nd. So, Ari, can you tell me a little bit about um, your dance troupe and what you guys do?
2: Sure. The Habibi dancers have been in the Lansing area for about 25 years now. They were started back in 1983, Um, started from some women who were taking classes at LCC and just been around for a while. Um, We are belly dancers. We do uh, a lot of uh, traditional Middle Eastern dance, um, stuff from North Africa, Egypt, Turkey, um, a lot of stuff around that. Our show this... uh, particular weekend is actually going to be a little bit more experimental. We're going to add a lot more American influence, and um, we're even going to add a little bit of uh, African dance into belly dance just to kind of
1: play around with it and see where it can go. Okay. okay. And what are the um, age, I guess, the, um, the spectrum of ages? Like, um, what is the average age of someone in the group? Well, the half age is probably going to take
2: some math that I can't do. But uh, at one point, we had our youngest member, I believe, 18, and uh, our oldest member was 75. Oh, wow. So, well, one of the things I love most about belly dance is it's for women of all ages and pretty much, well, anybody. It's not exclusionary at all. And how long have you been involved? Um, I personally have been involved with the Habibis for about three years. Um, I've been involved in belly dance for nearly five.
1: Okay, and what does Habibi mean?
2: Habibi is actually, uh, it's a term of endearment, like sweetheart. So we're kind of, I guess
1: we're the sweetheart dancers. Okay, and um, so you do a variety of different types of dances Mm -hmm. um, from a variety of different um, cultures. What's your favorite?
2: My favorite is probably Egyptian. It's a very classic style, and... uh, I don't know. It seems to fit my personality well. Um, like, like Turkish is a little more high energy, which not, I don't quite have anymore. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I would personally prefer Egyptian, but that's probably more due to my exposure
1: to it. Okay. And how many performances do you guys do a year?
2: Uh, quite a few, actually, because we t- we uh, do have performances all over the state, like special events and festivals and things, and like Michigan Renaissance Festival. And But here in Lansing, we actually have uh, dancers perform twice a month, uh, every first and third Friday at Aladdin's Restaurant in Frandor. Okay. So we're pretty much always performing on
1: some level. Okay. Um, what was your favorite performance you've ever done with them?
2: My favorite performance? Yeah, uh, well, we have a big spring show every April, and it oh, it's over at uh, the Hanna Community Center. They have a really gorgeous theater there, and every time we perform there, that that's my favorite because it's a big stage, a big audience, it's a big production, and I really enjoy that. Um,
1: how would you describe the ladies that are in Habibi Dancers? <laughs>
2: They're some of the funnest women I have ever experienced. They're really, really, we really friendly. And uh, I got along with them pretty much right away. I was a little worried when I auditioned because I didn't know anybody. Well, okay, I knew one person in the troupe and the teacher who was the director of the troupe. But we pretty much are like sisters at this point. We go out together, and you know, when we hang out, there's always cracking jokes and having a good time. I really love them.
1: Right. Now, describe um, a typical
2: rehearsal. Well, a typical rehearsal uh, usually involves at least a half hour of chatter (laughs) (laughs) before we get started with anything at all. And then we usually go through, you know, upcoming performances, who's doing what, and then we just do warm-ups, and we go through a few numbers and work on whatever uh, performance is coming up.
1: And are classes available to the general public?
2: Absolutely. The Habibi Dancers, as a troupe themselves, we don't have official classes that we give, but some of the members do have classes around the area. Uh, pretty much all of the YMCAs in the, the Lansing area have a belly dance teacher who, who is from the Habibi Dancers. Um, we also have uh,
1: classes through Lansing Parks and Recreation and East Lansing Parks and Recreation. Okay. Um, Are there similar dance groups like the Habibi Dancers in the Lansing area that you know of?
2: In the Lansing area, I'm not entirely sure. There was a smaller group for a little while, but I don't know if they're still around. Uh, The majority of troops are in, say, Detroit, or I know there's some in Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo. Um, There's even some in, I think, Bay City, uh, that kind of, those areas. Okay. Um, Who typically
1: does the choreography for all these uh, shows?
2: The majority of our choreography is done by our director, Yasmina Amal, um, though a few of the other members have come up with uh, original choreographies on their own, and we do have some that come out of uh, Egypt as
1: well. Okay. Okay. Um, Now, what muscles um, do these type of dancings typically utilize?
2: (laughs) Well, I'd love to say all of them, but uh, you actually end up using a lot of uh, muscles in your hips and thighs and and your stomach and around your ribs. It's full-body movement at one point. Whether you're moving them all at once is a different story, but a, a lot of our movements are isolations of different areas, so it just depends on what you're doing.
1: Now, when you perform, do you typically
2: wear costumes? absolutely it doesn't look the same in a pair of jeans really
1: right so describe those costumes to me
2: well uh depends on the event um if we're if we're shooting for a more uh family friendly crowd or a, or where like if we're in a school or something like that we'll actually be very covered so That's it's not typically what people expect when they think belly dancer but a lot of it it's it's all about beating and uh, decoration of of various costumes of the Most typical costume, I guess, is a beaded bra and belt that you can wear with pretty much anything. We have dresses that we wear with them or just, like, skirts and vests and things. But it's usually very intricate and at least shiny, if not noisy. Right, right. Now, how many dancers are in the group? How many dancers? Mm -hmm. I believe we have about 23 to 24 active members right now. Okay. And uh, probably a total of maybe 35, if you count
1: those who aren't quite active at this point. Okay. Now, at the beginning, um, you talked a little bit about the history um, of the Habibi dancers. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how they've evolved in the Lansing community? Um, Yeah, it
2: started back in 83 with uh, a group of, I think, about 10 women. They'd been with a different group through LCC, and uh, after I think they just decided that they wanted to go a different direction from whatever group that was doing, so they were... They just got together and uh, for a while, you know, it'd get down to a small amount of women, but it just gradually got bigger. They moved over to the Foster Community Center, and that's pretty much been our base of operations for a very long time. And it just kind of, you know, it changes from year to year how many people are in it and what they do, but um, there are a few members who have
1: been there from the beginning. Okay. Um, and before I start, wrapping things up, what is, what is any last comments that you want to say about the Hibibi Dancers that people may not know about?
2: Well, we actually do a lot in the community. We do, we go to schools and hospitals and anywhere we're asked really for mostly like diversity festivals or to teach classes about you know the Middle Eastern cultures or at least as much as we can with uh, dance and music. And
1: yeah. Okay. Um, and Describe again what people can expect at your show this weekend on November 22nd at Riverwalk Theatre. Beyond Borders is going to is a highlights our the experimental
2: works in belly dance. Um we're going to have numbers that are f- modern rock fusions which you don't see very often. Um, we have this great number with the black lights which is going to look very cool. And as I had mentioned before uh, the afro belly dance is a very high energy dance and that should get everybody all riled up. And we're we're also still going to have some traditional middle eastern themes in there. And the show is uh saturday night at eight and we actually also have
1: a show on sunday at two o'clock oh okay and where can people go for more information about the show or about um habibi dancers well the habibi dancers, dancers have a
2: website it's www.habibidancers.org and habibi is
1: h-a-b-i-b-i okay and then also it's at the riverwalk theater so i'm sure they have a website oh, as yes. well for listeners out there well again thank you ari from the habibi dancers to talk about your event this weekend Hi. Right, thank you very much
0: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
4: Smoking helpline.
0: Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking.
4: Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline.
0: The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it.
4: I think you want mysmokefreeapartment.org. It gives you the information
2: you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A
0: smoke-free building? Without all that? smoking
2: uh, yeah that's right make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink my
0: when you get up in the morning and turn on the radio you don't want to hear those other guys blah, talking blah, on your way blah, to work blah, do you blah. you don't want to hear talking you want to hear music so here at the impact we are making you a promise we're calling it the more music mornings 89 second play
1: Welcome back. I'm Emily, your host. And before I kick it into uh, the last guest of the evening to talk about Silver Bells in the City, I want to let you know about some other events that are going on this weekend. Um, MSU's Department of Theater performs Shakespeare's Love, Labor's Lost, 7.30 um, p.m. Tuesday through Thursday and 8 p.m. Friday through Saturday. Um, you can go to WhartonCenter.com for tickets. Also, on Wednesday, um, Harvest of Harmonies, um, at 8.30 p.m. at the Union, um, there's a group of, uh, Michigan folk slash indie bands, um, such as Breathe, Owl Breathe, Misty Lynn, The Big Beautiful, and Blitz Creek, um, will be performing again. That's 8.30 p.m. at the Union. And then on Thursday, OAR will be in town at the Breslin Center. They have a concert at 8 p.m. And I believe this is a part of the campus consciousness tour, uh, to promote environmental awareness. Um, also Thursday, um, cracking the Kwame story is at 4 p.m. Um, in I believe the Com Arts Building. Uh, members of uh, the Detroit Free Press will come in, and um, I think they'll have a panel and talking about uh, the Kwame Kilpatrick story. And for more information, I believe that's in uh, communi- our Communication Arts and Sciences Building, room 145. I think for more information, you can go to www.cas.msu.edu. And on Friday, um, the, Ten Pou- the Ten Pound Fiddle Concert Series presents um, Pat Donahue, a Prairie Home Companion, Alumni, and Grammy Award winner. Um, and that will be at 8 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, I'm a big fan of Prairie Home Companion, so I'm pretty excited about this event. Um, and also... Um, the MSU College of Music, is presenting Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, Friday through Saturday at 8 p.m. and 3 p.m. on Sunday, and you can go to uh, ticket information at whartoncenter.com. So those are some of the events that I found that I wanted to pass along, but now um, another great event that will be going on this weekend is Silver Bells in the City, and here I have Leslie Donaldson to talk about this event. So Leslie, do you want to Take it off for our listeners and um, explain a little bit about what this event is about.
6: Sure. Thanks for having me. This year is the 24th annual Silver Bells in the City. And what there's all, all sorts of things at the event for everybody. Um, the event runs from 5 to 9 p.m. It is free. And one of the biggest highlights of the event is an electric light parade. And there will be 65 units in the Electric Light Parade this year, and each unit has to have over 5,000 lights on it. So it's really quite interesting. Um, And this year's Electric Light Parade, it's the 12th annual. So 24, 23 years ago when this event started, it started as a sing around the Christmas tree um, in downtown Lansing, and they had luminaries that um were lighted along the sidewalks. So it's kind of grown into this huge event. Last year we had 120,000 people in downtown Lansing, and there's all sorts of things going on in addition to the parade.
1: Okay, so at the Light Parade, what I'm getting a visual in my head is floats just covered with lights. Is that basically what it is?
6: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And actually this year we've got a few new units. We've got a big eyeball. Um, We've got a big fish and we've got a big cow. Um, Lansing Community College has a helicopter in the parade. Wow! Um, uh, General Motors has a big car carrier in the parade. There's like really big units this year. There's actually big units and then there's some really small units too. There's um, very tiny little airplanes that, like, individual people drive. And there's, there's just a lot of, like, really interesting things in the parade for a lot of people to see. Wow. So this will be in downtown Lansing. And what time can people um, expect the light parade? The light parade actually starts at 6:10 p.m., and it lasts for about an hour. And then immediately following the parade, um, we do a countdown to light Michigan's official Christmas tree on the Capitol lawn. And then fireworks go off over the Capitol Dome, so it's kind of cool. You don't really get to see fireworks in the wintertime, and especially you don't really get to see them over the Capitol, so it's very cool.
1: Right. Well, I was checking the website, and it said uh, the, fireworks go, the fireworks will go off if weather permits. What will happen? What would what could prevent the fireworks to go off? Because I feel like that would be really exciting.
6: Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that can prevent us from doing fireworks is windy weather. Okay. Or if it's pouring rain for some reason. Um, they have to... There's a whole physics to it that I don't understand, but basically they have to make sure that when they shoot off all the shells that they're going in the right direction, so...
1: Okay, and I also heard out that uh, heard that performances by more than fifty local artists um, and culture institutions throughout the downtown A- Lansing area will be happening during this.
6: Yeah, absolutely. We um, actually all of the downtown called. Cult- cultural institutions are open that night free of charge. So if you haven't been down to Riverwalk Theater in a while or Impression 5 Science Center, Ariel's Transportation Museum, uh, Michigan Historical Center, they all have, in addition to their really interesting exhibits that they've got going on, they also have quite a number of arts and cultural groups either performing, whether that's theater groups or dance groups or musical groups. Um, There's handbill choirs. I mean, You name it, it's somewhere. Right. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's kind of fun. And obviously you can't see everything. So you have to sort of, unfortunately, pick and choose. But there's definitely something for everybody down there.
1: Now, you were describing the beginning when you first did this um, 20-some years ago, um, that it was singing around the Christmas tree. Are there, is there still going to be caroling that goes on during this event?
6: Oh, that's an interesting question. Actually, um, we do have quite a number of choral groups that participate in the event, and some of them you'll find along the street, which is really kind of cool because you're walking around downtown, you're watching the parade, and then when the parade's done... All of the restaurants and stores stay open late and then you happen across, you know, this choral group that's singing on the corner. Or you happen across another choral group singing on the other corner and it's kind of, it's kind of neat. It's a real festive environment.
1: Right. So I know um, my mom works for the state of Michigan, and she used to work in downtown Lansing, but they moved a bunch of the offices to one central location, I think, more outside of downtown Lansing on on Allegan. Um, And after that happened, I think some restaurants closed and some other shops. um, And you're saying how shops stay uh, um, open later, and so are restaurants. Has that changed now that some of the businesses have shut down
6: Oh, actually, there's quite a lot of businesses, and and really, downtown Lansing has become quite the entertainment hub. Um, In fact, just uh, for your listeners, there's actually a, a student hub that's being organized through MSU students, and also the Linking Lansing and U, um, which is a part of the Lansing Economic Development Corporation, they're featuring a student hub at at Club Excel, and so they're encouraging students to take the bus from campus um, and kind of meet up at Club XL and kind of hang out for the evening. Um, So in addition to that, there's quite a number of new restaurants in downtown Lansing, and all the stores that are there, um, they stay open late. The Peanut Shop, which has been there for nearly 100 years, stays open late, and that's a really fun place to go, and uh, Michigania is another kind of fun place to go, and actually Silver Bells in the City is a big night for everybody down there, and um, they're really excited to see students and, and families and you know, kind of see everybody get together. So it's a lot of fun.
1: Now you were talking about transportation. Um, what is the best way, um, for an MSU dis- student and even just anyone else in the community to get there? Cause it, um, from my information, I think, um, I read that there was some like, um, 120,000 people there in
6: 2007. So it's going to be very
1: packed. What's the best way to get there with so many people?
6: Well, we really encourage you, first of all, to take your time and be patient to get to downtown Lansing. But second of all, if you're driving into town, we encourage you to take 496 to the Martin Luther King um, Boulevard and then take either Kalamazoo, Allegan or Ottawa and park in the state lots right off right off of those streets. And you can take a Canada Silver Bells bus route to downtown Lansing. It's only 50 cents round trip, and um, it's really, really easy, really convenient. And the best part of it is, is when you're ready to go home, It's an easy way to get out of town because it does get pretty congested when you try to get out of town for the evening. A lot of other people will take the uh, the CATA bus just from any other location, and you can transfer. You can get a transfer slip um, to um, the Silver Bells bus route. So we certainly encourage people to carpool, to be um, careful, um, to think ahead, and um, really try to use the CATA bus and really try to do the park and ride system um, at the state lots.
1: Okay. Um, and will the Capitol building be open during this event?
6: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the busiest nights for the Capitol, and they do give free tours that night, and they will have some um, live entertainment in there. I think they have a harpist in there this year. So it, if you haven't been to the Capitol in a while, it's really quite beautiful, and it's fun to have a tour. It's You can kind of go th- throughout the entire Capitol, so it's a lot of fun.
1: Right. So there's going to be a lot of events going on. Do you want to give me a kind of highlighted schedule of what the evening will look like?
6: Oh sure. Um, it it starts at five o'clock, and um, all of the entertainment sites are open. And actually, performing arts groups begin at five. The parade starts at six ten at the corner of Washington and Lenawey. Um It lasts for about an hour, um, and it ends um, with uh, our countdown to lighting of the state's official Christmas tree. And then fireworks go off at the Capitol over the Capitol dome, probably about seven forty-five, and then the rest of the evening um you know there's still um, plenty of arts and cultural things to see places to go um there's actually a live um, broadcast of everything that's going on um so if you don't get a chance to get down down there you can watch it on city tv and other public access stations so there's all sorts of things going on and usually what a lot of people do after the event closes at nine o'clock is they hang out and have a good time with their friends so we encourage you to do that
1: with so much going on, are there going to be lots of um, pamphlets with a schedule in it around in the Lansing area?
6: Yeah, we've been trying to distribute them as best as we can, uh, but we certainly encourage people to visit our website. You can um, actually download a, um, a full schedule from the website, and then you can also check out the pages and find out who's in the parade and who's performing at different locations. But um, our website is silverbellsinthecity.org.
1: Oh, very convenient.
6: Um, how long have you been involved with this event? Um, this is my fourth uh, Silver Bells in the City, and it seems like every year it grows by about 20,000 people. So, wow. <laughs> so um, it is going to be a little bit colder this year, so we encourage people to bundle up, and there's plenty of places to get hot chocolate and coffee and all of that stuff too. But um, but yeah, it's it's been a really great time. I've really enjoyed this event, and I've I've enjoyed releasing it grow, and I'm looking forward to next year, which will be the 25th annual Silver Bells. It's going to coincide with the uh, City of Lansing sesquicentennial, so it's 150th celebration. So I don't, I can't tell you all what's going to happen next year, but um, there's there's going to be a lot, lot more about it, a lot more activities. So okay. Um, yeah, I was looking at the
1: weather for Friday, and it says it's going to be about a low of 21 degrees, high of 28, with a few snow showers. So I think it'd be kind of cool if it was snowing lightly while the lights are being lit. Um, what is your favorite or worst um, story over the years through Silver Bells? Oh, my gosh. Like the, most, uh, the biggest disaster that happened or <laughs> your your favorite most memorable moment? <laughs>
6: Ooh, wow. Wow, what a tough question. Um, boy, there's... Oh, I'm... You're putting me on the spot. One of my one of my favorite moments is actually when the um, donors of the state tree come down and they actually get to see their their tree be illuminated. Um, they will be here again this year. We've got um, these donors that are coming from the Upper Peninsula, and they watch their tree being cut down and. Um, the, the donor of the tree is actually ninety years old, so he 's coming down with twenty family members oh wow and they 're going to watch the tree um, you know us count down to the tree and watch it be be lit and and um, they 're going to have a really good time. so I love hearing stories like that, and certainly every every um, group that participates in the parade. They all have a story, whether it's a school group or a local business or a nonprofit organization. The time that they put into being involved with this event is really quite wonderful. And um, to me, this event is just a wonderful partnership of the state, the city of Lansing, um, our organization, the Arts Council of Greater Lansing, and all of the downtown businesses. So um, I just look forward to it every year.
1: Oh that 's so great now, um you were saying that every year it just keeps on excel more people come. you said maybe by like twenty thousand people you said that it increases every single year. Um, do you think people from
6: all over the state come? They do actually um i 've done quite a number of interviews um, in Detroit already um, yeah it 's the word has gotten out. (laughs) Um, And um, because we're the state capital, we do draw a lot of people from all over the state. Um, I know people that are coming from Grand Rapids and Detroit and and certainly the greater Lansing area. Um, Obviously, we have people coming from the Upper Peninsula. And um, we even have people coming from Ohio, too. So um, it actually is becoming quite quite the regional draw. And um, it'll be it'll be neat to see what happens in the next 25 years of this event to see how it grows. And perhaps it might become a longer celebration that goes over the course of a weekend. Yeah. So we're really excited to see how that grows and, and how the attendance and how the people involved with the event um, want to see it grow.
1: And there's also, I hear, going to be um, horse-drawn wa- rag- wagon rides um, in Washington Square. Um, is Do you think it's going to be, I'm trying to think of, um, a horse-drawn carriage when there's going to be so many people, but do you think that's not going to be a problem?
6: It usually is not. You're, I think about that every year, too. I'm like, there's so many people, and everybody still wants to get on these wagon rides, but um, we actually run the wagon rides. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, <laughs> I struggle, too. We we run those. Um, they start at 5 o'clock. And then they go right up until the parade begins. They they actually um, stop during the course of the parade because they actually go around um, the parade route. So. Unfortunately, the little horsies have to get out of the way for the parade. So they let the parade go by, and then they start back up again after um, the fireworks are done. So okay. people usually get a chance to ride them. It's pretty fun.
1: All right. So before I wrap things up um, for the hour, is there anything else that you want to talk about regarding um, Silver Bells in the City this weekend?
6: Well, we certainly hope that you can come down and experience the event. Um, it's it's really a wonderful time. And if you haven't been to downtown Lansing, it's, there's just a wonderful kind of spirit that's in the air when you're down there with all those people and it it's it's just a wonderful start to the holiday season so we hope you come
1: okay and again that's i um, in downtown lansing starting at five o'clock correct and the website is silverbellsinthecity.org again i was here with leslie donaldson to talk about uh, silver bells in the city this weekend in lansing thank you very much for coming in thank you Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.